Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on WealthTrack, Bill Miller IV explains how his income-oriented investment style differs from his famous dad's, legendary investor Bill Miller. They are next on an exclusive Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Before we dive into this week's topic, we would like you to participate in an anonymous survey on wealthtrack.com to help us serve you better and also let our sponsors know just how special our audience is. So please join us on wealthtrack.com for a brief anonymous survey. Who is carrying on the traditions of today's great investors? When you are investing in a fund with an impressive track record and distinctive philosophy and approach, is there any guarantee that those qualities will continue with the next generation? Well, we recently launched a new series on next generation investors on WealthTrack to introduce the younger portfolio managers sharing management responsibilities with some legendary investors. Our premiere episode was an exclusive with Bill Miller and Samantha McLemore, the co-portfolio manager of his flagship Miller Opportunity Trust Fund, which has beaten the market and its mutual fund competitors since the market bottom in 2009. McLemore started working with Miller right out of college and has been working in a portfolio management capacity with him since 2008. Miller is the founder, owner, and chief investment officer of Miller Value Partners, a firm he founded in 1999 while working at Leg Mason, but took over completely in 2017. Miller is still the only mutual fund manager to have beaten the market for 15 consecutive years, a record unlikely to be broken anytime soon. Miller Value Partners is a new sponsor of WealthTrack, but Miller is here because of his well-established credentials. Well, this week we have another exclusive with Miller, but this time with the co-portfolio manager of a very different and younger fund. The fund is a family affair. Miller's co-portfolio manager is his son, Bill Miller IV, known at the firm as Bill IV. The fund is Miller Income Fund. It was launched in early 2014 and is still relatively small with around $200 million in assets. The largest investors in it are the Millers. Although the income strategy has done well since its 2009 inception, the mutual fund has a mixed record in its five-year existence, outperforming its high-yield benchmark in up markets, a better than 16% advance in 2017, for instance, versus the benchmark 7.5% gain, but declining more in down markets, off 8% in 2018 versus a decline of a little over 2% for the benchmark. Prior to joining his dad as portfolio manager in Miller Value Partners' income strategy, the younger Miller worked as an analyst focusing on high-yield securities at Lake Mason Capital Management, got his MBA from the Tuck School at Dartmouth, and was an analyst at McKinsey. I began the interview by asking Bill Three to explain why he started an income strategy in the first place. The financial crisis. So in the fall of 2008, in addition to the stock market going down, um, 
but because the credit system was impaired and there was so much debt around, high yield bond spreads blew out to all time records and the high yield index was yielding around 22 or 23%. And so Ken Leach, who was then the chief investment officer of, of Western Asset and, and, and is still the Leg Mason's big bond house. Right, your Ken, former, for, former firm, Leg Mason, right. Right, yeah, um, Ken and I got together and, and said, you know, we ought to do a, a joint venture, a collaboration. And because none of the subsidiaries had really collaborated on products before. And so the idea is we're going to create an income strategy that uh, um, is initially going to be focused on high yield because that's where the best values are. But more broadly than that, it's going to be something that can own any part of the capital structure and any type of instrument anywhere in the world to deliver high income. And so we presented that to, to the leg product folks. And, and they studied it for a while and came back and said, well, no one's going to buy this thing. If, you know, the yields are 20-some percent. People are too scared to buy it. And we were like, well, somebody will buy it. I said, we'll buy it. You know, internally, we'll buy it. And, um, but for a variety of reasons, they decided not to, not to do it. And you know, we had argued that, look, if you can't make money, if high yield bonds aren't, gonna, are, are, uh, aren't going away, right. then you have to make money at 23% yields on this stuff. So finally, Ken and I decided to start it internally as an LLC in April of 2009 when Lake finally turned it down. And so uh, people at Western and people in, in my shop put money in it. And, and I think it was up, what, I mean, 65 or 70%, I think, in that nine-month period, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, um, and we, we ran the strategy. And finally, once, once it had a five-year record, they decided it was okay to bring out to the public. And, of course, that was when spreads were at the narrowest. Right. <laughs> and so it came out, you know, the, the next, you know, widened the next year. So we, we got off to a bit of a rocky start. But it's been, you know, it's been great. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a great product. And part of the reason that I like it is that... Um, the opportunity fund that, that Samantha and I run together is very volatile, mm -hmm. and this is about half as volatile as the opportunity fund, and, and, and does very well when the market has corrections relative to opportunity. Right. So, Bill Ford, you joined the firm um, after doing other things like at McKinsey and going to business school and everything else. You, your dad, I guess, finally convinced you to join <laughs> join him at the firm, and uh, and you got involved in the income strategy, which is an interesting choice on your part. Why did you get involved in it? Mm -hmm. Well, some of it was actually him directly asking me because he wanted to have a chunk of his money in safer things, right. a little bit more income as he was getting older, and mm -hmm. he thought that would be something interesting for me to work on with him. But also, you know, while I was there, prior to actually starting work on this, I became interested in a lot of these business development companies, which are these super high-yielding retail-focused products. Uh, and, the, and business development companies meaning such as? Meaning they make Aries uh, capital, um, mm -hmm. ARCC would be the ticker on that. So these are companies that make loans to small and medium-sized businesses, and then they have to pay out 90% of the interest generated by those loans to their shareholders mm -hmm. in the form of a dividend to avoid double taxation, essentially. Right. So I kind of started looking at these and thought, oh, this is really interesting. Here's an 8% yield. If it just doesn't go down, you're going to make 8% a year, right? And well, the more work you do on them, the more you realize there's other issues uh, with certain names and um, but it, it was a really interesting way to get started. How would you describe the, your objectives um, with the Miller Income Fund? And, and how do you think it differs from a lot of the other income funds out there, which are very popular vehicles? Yes. So it is an uh, aggressive 
mm -hmm. income fund, we are looking for very high levels of yield where we believe that the security that we're buying is undervalued. Yep. So any security we buy, we want to believe that it will actually outperform its own cash yield. So if we buy a security that's yielding 8%, call it uh, Cedar Fair, mm -hmm. um, we want to believe that that's, that's an amusement park operator. Um, that's yielding 8% today. We believe it's worth substantially more than the price where it trades. So we think we can actually generate a higher return than just that cash 8% right. yield because once the market, we believe, will eventually come around to our view of what that stock's worth, there will be potentially some capital appreciation on top of that. So the idea is a high level of yield while preserving the potential for capital appreciation over the long term. So, Bill, when I, when I hear uh, aggressive, um, I think high risk. Is it high risk, what you're doing? Um, time will tell. <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, we are scouring the world in the equities and debt markets for high levels of yield. Right. Most things that have a high level of yield are indeed really risky. We are trying to find the name where we think the level of perceived risk in the market is much greater than the level of real risk. And I think if you look around at the, when we started the strategy, safety or perceived safety was very, very expensive. And ever since the financial crisis, um, it has been expensive. It is right now. And so we're trying to find things where there's a real gap between perception and reality. Your approach, Bill, to, to the income strategy and the income fund, how, is it, how does it differ from what you're doing at Opportunity Trust? Well, the objective is very different. Right. Uh, the objective of the income fund is, is high income, and mm -hmm. we define part of that objective as a yield, deliverable yield, higher than the high yield index. So if, we, if the high yield index is yielding five and a half, let's say, and we're yielding seven and a half or eight, we've already beaten that benchmark. Right. And so then we also want to preserve the opportunity for capital gains, whereas the opportunity fund doesn't have any income, no, no real desire for, for income. We own some things with, with income, but it's mainly because we, we're looking for long-term growth opportunities there and not current, not current yield. And one of the names that uh, we, we both share in, the, in both the opportunity fund and the income fund is, is a, a company called Sparebank in Russia. Mm -hmm. And so it's got an 8% dividend yield on it. It's up 41% this year because the ruble has been stable. It's as over 50% deposit share of all Russians. It's owned by the, it's 51% owned by the Russian Central Bank. Uh, it's got very good management and, um, and it's, it's sort of an impregnable franchise and it trades at about five times earnings. Does it have an ADR or where are you buying it? Buying it in London on the London. Uh -huh. it's, got a, it's got a dollar listed London. Uh, right. London uh, security. So, so your universe is global then, in other words. So this is not just U.S. focused. Yeah, and right. I think that's an important point. No, it the, is. Yeah, uh -huh. the unconstrained aspect of it because portfolio construction matters immensely. And so one of the ways we attempt to mitigate some of the volatility from the individual names is we want to buy things. We put together a portfolio of 40 names with idiosyncratic risk factors and mm -hmm. each driver of whether or not one works is independent or not correlated. I think that's how we try and mitigate some of the volatility at the individual security level. Right. Take us through some of the choices that you're making, Bill Four and, and Bill, uh, as far as the allocation that you've made in the portfolio. So it's about 40% stocks the last time I looked. What kind of stocks? You just mentioned a, a Russian stock, but what kind of stocks are you in, investing in? Yeah, there's a wide variety of security types uh -huh. in the portfolio, and that's one of the reasons it's interesting. Um, there's capital-intensive stocks, and that's very different than capital-unintensive stocks. Yeah. So the so biggest instance, position mm -hmm. right now is in the capital-unintensive space in a group called Alternative Asset Managers, mm -hmm. so Apollo, APO. 
Carlisle CG. Um, right. So these are private equity firms that are publicly traded. Exactly. And and what's the attraction of those? And I am amazed that they pay out such great yields and also that they're undervalued in the market. So t- tell us yeah. well, the story. Well, I think one of the attractions on that group is that it's very hard to figure out what they're going to earn in any given quarter because mm-hmm. you have no idea what names from their portfolio they want to sell this quarter or next right. or when the conditions will even be right. So it's really hard to predict uh, each quarter what they're going to earn. And so Wall Street doesn't like that generally. They like mm-hmm. earnings predictability. They like to know what's going to be coming down the pike. And so I think for that reason, in addition to the fact that historically they have not been C-Corps, they've been publicly traded partnerships, and some of the K-1s and administrative hassles keep a lot of institutional investors out of that space. Right, because they can't actually invest in companies, right, that have K-1s. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you've been seeing a lot of those convert, and you know the multiples on them are going up, and people are paying more for them now that they've changed their legal structure. Um, but we still think there's a lot of upside in that space. So mm-hmm. that would be the capital unintensive space. And then on the other side of you know, the ledger, I mentioned Cedar Fair earlier, which mm-hmm. is much more capital intensive, but very well managed, very defensible. There's no technological threat from the internet gonna take away your amusement park. So um, you, can't, you can't go on a roller coaster in your computer, right? Uh, so we think that's a really interesting price right now at you know, below $50 to be paying for that type of name. And are these companies, Bill, that, that you are finding as well? I mean, how, how does your process work when, when working with Bill Four um, on this portfolio? He, he takes the lead on this one mm-hmm. um, because it's, it, it's got a very, a very specific set of objectives. Right. And, and so I'm not typically looking across the space just for, not just for income, but for income plus. I'm looking for total, right. you know, total return, but meant much more heavily weighted towards capital gains. But occasionally, though, there'll be, there'll be there'll be names, and one of the names that I uh, relatively recent in the portfolio is called Quad Graphics, which I'd owned before mm-hmm. uh, and then oh. sold. And uh, and I, I'm, have you owned it in the income fund before? We have, yeah, have as well. And so it's one of the it's one of the largest printing companies in the in the country, and it's family controlled. But it's got a what's a 15 percent yield on it right now, and it, because Why? the government has challenged a, 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 a deal that they're doing that they think is uh, going to consolidate the industry too much which makes no sense because the industry is super fragmented, but the government does strange things mm-hmm. from time to time. But the last time it got to this price, it tripled uh, within, I think, a year or two, right? Quadrupled, even. Quadrupled. So yeah. I'm looking at it now for, for opportunity mm-hmm. for, the, you know, for the same reason. But partly it's also the case that, that um, and it's not that we don't, um, we, we share names between the, obviously share names that we talk about them all the time right. and talk about positioning. The other big difference is that Opportunity Trust is $1.5 billion in assets and the income fund is $200 million in assets. So we can right. buy names that are much smaller. Right. We can be a little more nimble. Um, so there's, there are some differences in the way that it's actually managed as well. And as, as far as your investment style, in a previous conversation, you had said that, number one, you're different personalities than your dad. But also um, that that your 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 style, what you're comfortable with, as far as an investment, is different. Do you want to describe what the you see as the difference? This cone of uncertainty, I remember right. that phrase that you used with That's me. That's right. He's much better with very wide cones of uncertainty, mm-hmm. where a name could be worth a thousand times where it trades today, or it could be zero. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the things in the income fund do not have huge cones of uncertainty. You can say with a reasonable degree of certainty that it's worth somewhere between A and B. Um, and you can then be more aggressive as they 
go down in buying them towards the bottom end of the possible range, and you can trim them as they go up. Uh, those types of opportunities are a little different when you're dealing with huge cones of uncertainty, and it's, I think you manage it a little differently, too. Would you agree with that characterization? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there, there are names where, um, uh, for example, one of the names and, and uh, opportunity and a good size name is a company called Intrexon that we might have spoken mm-hmm. about. It's a synthetic mm-hmm. biology company. Right. And so it, it's a company, it, it's, a, it's got a, close to a billion dollar market cap. Um, the stock hasn't worked, you know, came at public in the teens, it went to 70, then it went to four. The CEO just brought a ton of stock, now it's about seven and a half. But it's one of those things where um, I'm perfectly happy to have it in the fund because a little bit like Bitcoin, uh, which isn't in the fund, by the way, it's in right. the partnership. But, uh, but if Intrexon works, it, it's up 20 times, 50 times. So I can only lose 100%, mm-hmm. and I can make you know thousands and thousands of percent, and the position size is such that it's not going to kill me if it, right. you know, if it, if it, if it goes down. Right. Are there any positions that could kill you, if, or is there, I mean, what's the, the risk? <laughs> Uh, I mean, for instance, let's say for some reason the market decides that private equity funds are just, you know, yep. horrible places to be or they get, you know, there's regulation uh, applied to them or whatever. I mean, is are there, are you, do you, are you overexposed? It's, we manage on a name by name basis. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at what every single name is doing every day. And if something's moving against us and it looks like the data is supportive of the bear case and we miss something, we need to sell it and get out and You're move right. on. Right. Um, you have any other thoughts on that? I, w- I would say that there's really nothing in that portfolio mm-hmm. that can kill us, mm-hmm. um, and because of the, just the nature of the income coverage that we're getting on right. the on the stuff and the things like the private equity firms. For, I mean, the private equity firms I would put way low on the risk spectrum of possible mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. can that can go wrong. In fact, it's it's a puzzle to me why anybody puts money in the private equity funds funds as opposed to buying the Stocks. Oh, interesting. Because because you know when you own the stock, then you're getting paid the two and twenty or, or three and thirty that they're charging. Oh, you're right. You're and, getting paid and, the fees. Yeah, right. and and uh, and that's what all the partners own that you know, and and other people own the infrastructure fund or whatever whatever they they have. Real estate investment trusts. Now, obviously, they're great income vehicles, mm-hmm. but are they are are they undervalued right now? Is it or you're you're finding specific ones again? You're. Um, I would say that real estate's investment trusts broadly have mm-hmm. run up a lot in value over the past mm-hmm. year or so. They've done great, mainly because rates are low. People right. believe, you know. They want that income. That's right. So rates are low. They want the income, but also capital is a major input if you're a real estate operator. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a low cost of capital and the, the rates are real low, that's a good thing. And so the long-term rates have come down over the past uh, year or two. And so um, that's why I think they've done really well. So we don't like a lot of the real estate investment trusts here. I think some of the mortgage real estate investment trusts, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but right. some of those trade at uh, discounts that are wide enough to trade here. Mm-hmm. Um, but broadly speaking, REITs are okay. Bonds, do you see any risks in high yield at this point? Or Yeah, it's it's pricey. Right. You know, it's 6% yield right now, and you're going to lose right. half of that to defaults. If you get any inflation, that's going to eat the, away the rest of your return and fees and everything else. So. That's not, broadly speaking, diversified high yield is not a great place to be. Mm-hmm. What we own in the fund right now are some uh, unique deleveraging situations. Mm-hmm. So where companies have taken on debt to do an acquisition or to a project and it hasn't worked out the way they thought. And now they say, oh my gosh, we've got to change some things here and pay down a lot of this debt aggressively. So we want to own the debt that they're shedding mm-hmm. as they're paying it back. Oh, interesting. Because that, there's a valuation um, 
potential there. It's the same way the private equity guys make money as they pay off the debt, the equity mm-hmm. becomes more valuable. In this case, they're paying down all the debt. The debt we own should become more valuable as they get rid of the debt in the capital structure. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where we do tend to, sh- to have share names. Mm-hmm. So we had, we had a, a good-sized position in Avon products, mm-hmm. which got bought out. But when we bought Avon, the high-yield debt was yielding over 10%, wasn't it? And so they get bought out by a bigger company. That's 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 money good. So, but but the Avon, you own the equity, and did you own the equity as well? well in the in, in the, the income, income or, or the fund bonds? Owned the bonds. Okay. So uh, CenturyLink, which is a telecom company, one of the biggest enterprise telecom companies. So we own the common in the opportunity fund. It yields about nine percent, eight and a half, nine percent. And I think you own the common and the bonds, right? We do. And it's only got a, it's only got a thirty percent. Uh, I mean, it's got, it's got three to one coverage uh, on its on its dividends right now, right? And it's paying down debt, so that's a case where where you can make money on any part of that capital structure. We think. So you both invest in, I mean, Bill, you're a major shareholder, both Opportunity Trust and the Income Fund. Um, I'm assuming that you're invested in both as yes. well. Mm-hmm. You are. Uh, so uh, let me ask, because you're both in two different stages of your lives. So, Bill, as far as, you know, the, the, the mix, um, you know, tell me about the role that Opportunity Trust you, you see playing in your, your portfolio and that the income strategy plays in your portfolio, Miller Income Fund, and, and, and how you've allocated between the two. Um, or, sure. So um, I was fortunate enough to uh, get to know uh, Sir John Templeton when he was, yes, when he was alive. And one of the things that... Um, one of the things that Sir John said to me when I was asking about what, what kind of misperceptions are there in the market, and he's like, well, the biggest misperception, he said many misperceptions, but the biggest misperception is that you're, somehow your investment objectives change and your asset mix should change as you get older. <laughs> and he said, that, he says, that doesn't make any sense because everybody's objective is the same, which is to maximize your wealth. And he said, so whether you're young or whether you're old, that's the objective. And when you're, when you're nearing the end of your life, then you want to pass on the most amount of wealth mm-hmm. to your heirs or to give it to charity or whatever you whatever you want to do. I'm not, I'm not looking to allocate more money to the income fund as, the, as I get older and move it out of the opportunity right. fund or anything like that. You know, I can, I'll just, if I want to put more money in because I think it's really cheap, I'll do that. I still have much more of my money in the opportunity trust, mm-hmm. uh, probably about two times as much as I have in the income fund. So have you made that decision as an age-appropriate decision or... Yeah, I, I think it should do better over a longer uh-huh. period of time just because of the nature of the securities they can buy. And All right, last question. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, Bill, for what would you have us all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio? Apollo, APO. And the reason is? Um, the reason is, I think, on a fundamental valuation basis, it's worth much more than where it trades today. Right, this is a private equity worth. firm. Yes, it probably has 50% to 60% intrinsic value upside from the current price to where it should trade. And at the same time, uh, if you think of it just as a bond that's only going to pay you 5% as a floor, you can actually do the math on the certain types of earnings streams and how steady they are. It's probably not going to pay lower than $2 a share mm-hmm. right now in dividends, and it trades at $34. So it's, it's a very attractive 5% plus type of yield. Bill, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. Uh, when we had you on another time, you had recommended Amazon. I know you still really like Amazon a lot, but I'm asking you for another idea. Okay, so I'll, I'll take an idea that is in um, the, fu- the firm that he talked about, Apollo. 
the private equity fund's portfolio. Mm -hmm. They own 85% of this company. It's ADT, the public, I mean, the, uh, the residential security company. It's also this commercial, but it's mainly residential. They've got a dominant market share in a very fragmented industry. The stock came public at around $14 a year and a half ago, and it's six right now. And it has a double-digit free cash flow yield. Right. Um, it's very predictable business. People don't just go turn off their home security system. Some do if you have a recession, but we're you know, still, it's a, it's a sticky thing like cable television. Mm -hmm. It grows its revenues at kind of mid to high single digits every year. Uh, Apollo loaded it up with debt, which is a smart thing to do for a very predictable business. But they're using that free cash flow to buy down, to pay down debt and then also to buy other smaller security companies. So we believe that it's worth at least twice the current price and will probably be worth three times the current price within three years. We're going to leave it there. So Bill Miller, thank you so much for being on Wealth Truck again. Thanks for having me. Bill Miller Fourth, thank you so much for being on Wealth Truck for the first time. Thank we you. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is put a portion of your portfolio with independent thinkers who can actually act on their convictions. Miller's story about trying to launch an income fund and buy high-yield bonds in the depths of the financial crisis is a case in point. Leg Mason was probably correct in assuming the public wouldn't buy it. It felt way too risky at the time. But the pros, like Bill Miller and Ken Leach, understood the opportunity the market was presenting. They did invest in it and made a lot of money. There are some funds and some firms that are independent enough to give us the same kinds of opportunities if you can tolerate going against the crowd. Next week, there are some big changes occurring in Social Security benefits. Expert Mary Beth Franklin takes us through them. In our extra feature, the two Millers recommend some books that have had the greatest influence on their investment careers. You can find them on our website. And while you're there, please take our brief anonymous survey. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. And please check out our YouTube channel. Thanks for taking the time to visit with us. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.